all need it, right? Okay, so we're talking about change. Change isn't change until it's change. Before I do that, I want to talk about the 10-8, how we ended up in the 10-8 fund. So our goal in the 10-8 fund uh, is based on, Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. Our goal last year was we wanted to give away for us more money than we've ever given away. And so we were able to, uh, last year we gave away $133,866 in our 10-8 fund. Isn't that awesome? In, in my mind, my goal was $10,000 a month. And uh, that was, uh, you know, that was for us a great, <laughs> that was a big amount. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for helping us have a victory in this area. And we were able to help sharing life with the community around here. We were able to help our calling uh, with ministry to the homeless. And we're, so sharing life and our, our calling, we continue to help monthly thrive, which is, uh, how's the best, what I've descri described thrive. Thrive is a women's health clinic and they help women that are trying to make a decision about whether to keep their child or not and so they do a great job there so we we continue to support thrive uh, we helped we sent money to refugee support in ukraine through churches that we have a relationship with in poland and so you were just so generous in all of these areas thank you thank you thank you we'll just con we're going to continue to support these areas that we've committed to through this year so thank you for your faithfulness continuing to give so that we can continue to support as uh, as the lord enables us so thank you isn't that awesome that is a great victory it is so we're talking about change isn't change until it's changed we talk about change we want change uh we all are looking for god to bring about some kind of deep permanent transformative change and sometimes we don't feel like it happens and what we learned last week, we talked about last week, is that uh, transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something that the Spirit of God works in us. The goal of the Holy Spirit, we talked about last week, is to make God's truth real to us. Our main problem where we struggle with so many things is that unreal things are real to us and real things are unreal to us. We got offended or hurt, or somebody said a lie. Somebody said something to you when you were a kid. They said you were stupid or you're never going to end up, or never amount to anything. And that just got lodged in your heart and you believed it. And although it's not true and there's all kinds of evidence that it's not true, you continue to, to embrace it and believe it. And the truth that God does love you, which there's just all kinds of evidence that God does love us and that he cares for us, we reject that truth. So the, the unreal becomes real to us and the real becomes unreal to us. Uh, we started that last week. If you didn't hear that last week, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. I think it was, uh, I don't say this very often, but I think it was an important, impactful message, and I, you ought to listen to it. You ought to go back and listen to it. Uh, so, so we're in the scripture. Jesus is, is with his disciples. He's, he, it's the night before he dies, and he's recognizing there's some things that he wants to tell them, so he in, in John, he goes through three chapters that he gives them information, some things that he wants to leave with them before he goes. And he, he's taught them, but there's still a lot of things unchanged in them, right? So he's, he's dealing with that. And if you feel like you experienced that, that you've, you know Jesus, but there's some things unchanged, 
that need to be changed? Nobody's going to admit that? Okay, well, I'm done here. Uh, <laughs> no, no hope with this sermon. So in John chapter 13, Jesus says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that the one who was betraying him, for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me Lord, teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So from now on I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it comes when it does occur you may believe that I am he truly truly I say to you he who receives whomever I send receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me when Jesus had said this he became troubled in spirit and testified and said truly truly I say to you that one of you will betray me wow now that's a lot to unpack right so Jesus is basically the disciples were gathered for the last meal. Uh, they're going to eat communion like we just celebrated. They're going to celebrate the Passover together. And then Jesus is going to be betrayed later in the evening by Jesus, Judas. And so we see Jesus is telling them something that he's trying to get them to get a hold of about how God changes us. And the power of change. And he's demonstrating to them how to love. And so that's something we, we all struggle with. In Psalm 40, verse 6, it says, Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. And the scroll of the book is written. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. God doesn't want from us, and he wasn't trying to get the disciples to follow some new kind of law. What he was after and what he's always after within us is a changed heart. He wants us to have a changed heart. Here's the good news. He's the one that does the changing. 
It's not something we do. The law says, you know, if we were trying to do it by the law, the law says don't lie, but behind the law is, is something different, is, is love and a heart of integrity. You, you don't lie if you love. Wouldn't you say it's true? Because love would keep you from lying. The law says help the poor, but, but behind the law is, is a heart of generosity and humility. You could, you could help the poor obligingly here. Or you could help the poor out of love. And sometimes helping the poor out of love, as we learn from our friends uh, the homeless ministry, our calling is that sometimes we don't, we don't want to give them the wrong thing. Because in giving them the wrong thing, we don't help them, we hurt them. So sometimes helping can be hurting. Uh, the law says don't envy, but behind the heart of not being envious is a heart of peace and contentment, where we're content, where we don't have to be envious of what other people have. Jesus is saying, I just don't want outward appearance. I want changed hearts. I want transformation. I want change. So how does, how does God create that kind of change? So Jesus shows us here something. He shows us about the fruit of the Spirit. John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is demonstrating what we would call, based on the fruits of the Spirit, God is demonstrating to them love. Galatians 5, 22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And what's always interesting to me about when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's hard not to think about the fruits of the Spirit. But it's not the fruits of the Spirit. We want to take the fruits of the Spirit and uh, each one of these characteristics and divide them. It's okay, you need to have joy, you need to have peace, you need to... But the way the Bible describes it and the way it's described here, it's not, a, it's not fruits, it's fruit. So that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control... These are different dimensions of one fruit. And this is the fruit of love. The love is the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in this meeting, Judas is here, and he's, and he's going to get the same lesson about love that everyone else gets. Judas is here. Jesus knows he's going to betray him that evening. And Jesus washed his feet. So John 13, 2 says, During supper the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. We probably don't think clearly about Judas uh, because it says the devil had put it in his heart. I mean, the other disciples didn't recognize that Judas, you know, had a demon in him or anything. But... Your life will be determined by what lies you let the devil put in your heart and what you let Jesus by the Holy Spirit put in your heart. Whether you let the enemy put lies and hurts and unforgiveness or whether you let the Lord fill your heart with grace and mercy and truth. But the devil had put something in his heart. Remember that also that Jesus had rebuked Peter when he said, you're, you know, you're not going to have to die and suffer. When Jesus was talking about how he was going to die on the cross and suffer, 
Jesus took him aside and rebuked him. <laughs> and Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Anyone who's doing anything sinful or evil or wrong is in that moment a pawn of Satan. Anybody here ever been a pawn of Satan? Yeah. We've all sinned. We've done evil. We've done wrong. Think about this. Think about Judas. Judas had the best small group experience anybody's ever had. You know, 12 disciples. The small group leader was Jesus. He had a great small group experience. Jesus, Judas had access to the best preaching and teaching everyone as anyone's ever had. He had access to the best theology <laughs> that had ever been taught. He was sent out with the other disciples when, when Jesus sent them out to heal in his name and cast out demons in his name and preach the kingdom in his name. He had gone out with the 70, and they all came back talking about what God had done. So Judas had seen by his own hand incredible miracles, healings, casting out demons. It's, it's likely, and you think about this, that Judas accomplished more in his life for the kingdom of God than most of us will. Does that seem reasonable? See, the problem was Judas was never changed. He did the stuff, but he himself wasn't changed. You know, you can know stuff, and you can know about stuff. You can know about the kingdom, and you can know the Bible, but you yourself not actually be changed. Judas was never changed because he did not surrender his will and his agenda. He was, holding, he was always holding that back in reserve. He was always holding something back. Jesus was rabbi. Jesus was teacher. He had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but he wasn't conquering Rome the way that he had expected. Maybe he thought, I'm just going to give him a little push. Maybe his, he didn't think that Jesus would die, but he thought this will push Jesus into revealing himself as the political kingdom-conquering Messiah that we want him to be. That if, if I just give him a little push and he's backed up against a wall, he won't have any choice. I'm going to help him be the Messiah that I want him to be. You see, Jesus was what he hoped would be a Messiah, but to Judas, Jesus never was Lord. If you want to see the fruit of the Spirit, the fullness of the love of Christ, go to work in changing your heart. There's first a surrender to the Lordship of Christ and the will of God. Jesus described this as taking a bath. You need to be bathed. You need to be washed. You need your whole body cleansed. You need to be bathed by the Spirit of God in the blood of Christ. This is basically what's happening. You're washed in the blood. You know, a lot of people, if you don't know Jesus and they're singing a song about it, we've been washed in the blood, you're thinking, what? But we've been cleansed by that sacrificial work. So that is what's happening in us. He's saying, yeah, but Judas missed out because he, he had his own agenda. This passage shows us 
how the unity of the fruit of the Spirit works in the life. Is the fruit of the Spirit growing in our life? It apparently wasn't growing in Judas's life. It's not how much you know, because Judas probably knew the Bible better than we do. It's, it's not how much God has used you. I mean, you know, I, I've never seen any blind eyes open yet. Deaf ears open. Anybody here? Right? But, so you can do the stuff. Is, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Is there evidence of change? So it's not how much God's used us, but how is my own life being changed? Are you a better listener than you used to be? Are you less controlling than you used to be? If you're the gentle type who avoids conflict, that's me. Have you gotten more direct? If you're the direct type who loves conflict, you got any of those in your life? (laughs) Have you gotten more gentle? Would your friends say you're much more gracious and patient when you're criticized than when you used to be? Would people say you're much more poised when you fail and you don't excuse it? But you don't get down on yourself and shame yourself either, you idiot, you stupid idiot, what are you doing? Would people say that you, when you have to admit that you've done wrong, that you do it quickly and easily? You can admit your mistakes easily. Are you better organized than you used to be? Are you less of a people pleaser? And able to say no without having to do a bunch of justifications? Do you worry less? Didn't get any amens to that whole section. (laughs) Very quiet section, right? Are you changing? You see, the fruit of the Spirit is unified. If God's working in our life, He's not going to just work on on one area. A lot of people say, well, I'm patient, but I'm not loving. That's not how it works. The rabbis in Jesus' day said that you could not make a Jewish slave wash feet. It was too humiliating a task. So they would not, you you could only get, you could only make Gentiles, non-Jews, wash feet as slaves. You could wash your own feet, of course. So we see here the humility. We know that Jesus was humble. He humbled himself, you know, left the cross to the point of death, even the cross. The humility of Jesus is displayed here. The endurance of Jesus is on display here. He is, he is serving in spite of what he is facing. He knows what's coming and he's serving. And we see the forgiveness and patience of Jesus. He washed Judas's feet. He washed the betrayer. He washed the one who's about to betray or betray him's feet. As a matter of fact, they're all going to run off and desert him on fresh Jesus-washed feet. They're all going to leave him. So this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit wants to work in all dimensions of our life. If a person is loving, but they're not self-controlled, they're not really loving. If a person is peaceful, but they're not really kind, they're not really peaceful. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not one fruit. It's not one aspect. It's not one characteristic that we've gotten good at. And yet, here's my weak areas. It's all. See, the fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working through us in all of those, changing us in all of those areas. We see people who are very gentle and sweet, but they're not courageous and faithful. They're not very good at confronting. Uh, the gentleness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but it's maybe a lack of self-esteem. We see people who are self-controlled, very disciplined. They don't lose their temper. But they have no joy. They don't demonstrate any love. That's not self-control. It's pride control. I'm just doing better than you. I just want to let you know that I'm doing better than you. You see people that are patient. This is some of you. But they're seething with anger on the inside and not really being patient. You see those t-shirts that say, on the outside I'm smiling, but on the inside I've punched you three times? <laughs> right? It looks like you're patient, but you're not. On the inside, I'm not going to let you see me sweat. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm, I'm going to be superior to you. I'm going to be better at this than you are. See, the fruit of the Spirit is about if they're not all there, they're not there. And God wants to bring the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. If, it, if they're not all there, it's just personality traits and characteristics. It's just the way we naturally are, and God wants to work. We need Jesus and the Spirit's help if we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit because it's going to go against the grain of our natural tendencies. We need the fruit of the Spirit. We need, I think we can say we need help. The only way if you, you can tell it what's going on instead of looking at your strengths, which is what we have a tendency to do, I'm very gentle, kind, patient. But instead, look at our weaknesses. Because our weaknesses reveal how much we're letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And that lets us know, it lets me know, that we're in deep need of the Holy Spirit. There was an old show, most of you are too young to know about it. There was a show, uh, Larry and Balky, what was it called? Perfect strangers, and the, their phrase was, we're in deep baba sticky. So this, this shows us that we have, a, we have a deep need for the Spirit of God to work in us. If, cha if, if we're going to have true change, we can, we, can, we can work stuff up by our will. We can work stuff up based on our personality and temperament and characteristics. But if, if there's going to be true transformative change within us, it's something that the Holy Spirit's going to work in us. It's something that the Holy Spirit is going to do in us. So he shows us through this what the nature of, if love is like the, the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit, like all the fruits of the Spirit are under this umbrella of love, what is the nature of the fruit of the Spirit? When Jesus wanted his disciples to understand what love was, he did something concrete. He washed their feet. See, love is not, is today, in our culture, uh, love is tolerance. Today in our modern culture, love is defined as accepting everything that everybody says. That's tolerant. That's 
That's loving. Love is seen as accepting all beliefs and practices. Hate is disapproving of any belief and practice. If you disapprove of anything. But real, Christ-like love is engaging. It's, it's washing. It doesn't just look at dirty feet and say, it's fine. It's good. It's fine. It gets involved. It does something about it. Becky Pippert says, the more I love someone, the angrier I get when they do something that hurts them. If I don't love someone, if I don't know them that much, I'm tolerant. You want to shake them and say, don't you see what you're doing to yourself? You're becoming less and less yourself every time I see you. I'm not angry because I hate them. I'm angry because I love them. If I hadn't loved them, I'd walk away. Real love stands against deception. Real love stands against lives that destroy. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. Mere tolerance is a counterfeit of real love. Love is washing. Love is being involved. Love is an action. Love is not a feeling. I think we think of love as attraction. I love you because I'm attracted to you. We struggle with this when we're falling in love. Uh, we think love is the feeling that we're feeling. And love is at its, at its weakest link. It is a feeling, but love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. When you have a newborn baby and it gets you up at 2 o'clock in the morning, then at 3 o'clock in the morning, then at 4 o'clock in the morning, then at 5 o'clock in the morning, and then it wasn't one day, it's multiple days, and you're wore out, and you're just doing everything you can to keep your sanity together and feed this baby and change these diapers, get the, get the everything working, get the breastfeeding working, getting the schedule working, all of that working. It's miserable. At the same time, you're falling deeper in love with that child that you're serving. It is, the feeling that you have in that moment is absolute misery. Being a new parent, being a new mom is hard work, very difficult. I've observed it. I haven't experienced it, apparently. We think love is attraction. I love this person because I'm attracted. What are we attracted to? We're attracted to, of course we're attracted to beauty. Uh, I'm att we're attracted to their mind or their intellect. I'm attracted to their success. We're attracted to people about how sharp they are. They're, they're, they're sharp. They, you know, we, def we define people. They're, they're, we're a sharp couple. Jesus shows us something different about love, but it's, it's not about those levels of attractiveness. It's not self-serving. He shows us that love is washing feet. And when you ask people, when they do a survey, what is the most unsightly part of the body? You know what, what comes out on top? It's the feet. Or I guess it comes out on bottom. But People generally think of your feet as not lovely. It's not the attractive part of the body. And think, and not only this, and their feet were really dirty. They really needed their feet washed. I mean, the streets of wherever they were, they were in Jerusalem, but in, in the streets that they walked in were streets that 
where most of the areas, they didn't have public sanitation of any kind. So feces and urine were thrown into the streets or just, they just created a ditch so that it would run in the streets. And it was just a part of the, of the reality. Food scraps, rubbish just thrown out. Nobody's collecting it. It's not going into a recycle bin and being hauled off to a, you know, <laughs> a place somewhere far away. Their feet were really dirty, and they really needed it. Jesus washes their smelly feet. It's serving. What is love? It's serving. It's washing feet. It's the fruit of the Spirit in action. That's, it's something we do. Something we have to do. How is the fruit cultivated? So how, how do we get, you know, how do we grow? How do we change? John 13, 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken their garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. And then later on in verse 34, he says, in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you love one another. They, they hadn't washed each other's feet. They, they all knew they had stinky feet. Right? They all knew something needed to be done. They, there's, there's 13 of them in the room. And they all knew that somebody ought to wash the feet, or that at least they should wash their own feet but they didn't do it. They hadn't served the others. None of them had served the others. And Jesus says, man, I've got to get this over to these guys somehow. They're not getting it. They don't get how this works. They're still jockeying. Here in this, the last stages, the night before he dies, they're still jockeying for position in the kingdom. They're still trying to figure out who's going to be number one ahead of everybody else. And these guys really loved each other. I mean, if you'd talk to these guys, you know, James and John are brothers. Philip and Andrew are brothers. They, they loved each other, but they weren't willing to serve each other. They, were, they didn't serve because they were too insecure to serve. In John 13, 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, Jesus was able to serve because he knew who he was. He knew that washing feet did not diminish him. He knew that washing feet didn't change his standing in the kingdom of God. And our ability to serve, our willingness to serve, our willingness to even grow in Christ and see the fruit of the Spirit multiplied in our life flows out of our security of who we are in Christ. If we understand who we are in Christ, then, then we, can, we, can, we will see change take place because of our understanding of who we are in Christ. We need spirit-empowered love. It's, it's, this is not something we're going to be able to do. This, they had filio. They had brotherly love, but they didn't have agape. They didn't have godlike love. And we need 
love that is godlike. And the only way we're going to have godlike love, it's going to be something that the Spirit of God works in us. So they needed the Spirit of God to work in them. How do you overcome this weakness? Well, we need the spiritual identity that's based on the authority of the Word of God. We need that, and that frees us from the whispers and lies of the enemy. The thing that you believe that you shouldn't believe that's real to you, that's unreal, but you've made it real, it's only through the Word of God and the Spirit of God that we can take the, the real to us and make it unreal, recognize it as a lie. The Word of God helps us recognize it a lie and then build our lives on the truth. We don't do it. You know, a lot of times this time of year, you know, everybody wants to, to lose weight. If you go to the gyms, the gyms are full. Everybody's going to get in shape. You can go back in a month. You can go back to the gym. It won't be busy. I mean, every, we, we all want to change. And, the, and we think the way to change is that we're going to do better and try harder, and it never works. The only thing, the only true change that works is something that works in us from the inside out. It has to be a work of the Spirit. Do you remember how you came to Christ? you remember what it was like to come to Christ? It was a work of the Spirit. How did you get saved? Well, for me, I was running pretty hard trying to not become a Christian. And God kept chasing me. And one day, I surrendered my life to Christ. And I admitted I had a need. I admitted that I was a sinner because I was. <laughs> I admitted that I needed a Savior. And then I admitted there wasn't anything that I could do about it. And I received a gift. I received the gift of salvation that was offered to me by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart and and offered me salvation, and I, with the faith that he gave me, because I didn't have faith. There, there's no faith in me naturally. I didn't have any faith to believe or trust in God. There was nothing in me that was pursuing God. I was running from God. With the faith that he gave me, I was able to say yes, and I received salvation as a gift of grace, a work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we see the fruit of the Spirit work in our lives? Same way. We come with our open hands and we say, this love thing, this forgiveness thing, this peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness is not natural to me. Oh yeah, there's three over here I'm pretty good at, but these other six I'm not good at. Lord, I'm weak. I'm not good at this. And just as we repented of our sins, we repent of where we are. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm not good. Because the goal of the Holy Spirit is to make God's truth real to us. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to help us see by the Spirit who Jesus is. You, you overcome sin not by doing better and trying harder. We overcome sin by looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
we look at the beauty of the cross, the beauty of his incarnation, the beauty of him overcoming temptation, the, the beauty of him shedding his blood for us, the beauty of him overcoming death. I mean, we, we look to him, and in looking to him, we find strength to overcome sin so that we can change. How do we change? We, we change. Paul said it this way. He said, when I'm weak, he's strong. He was recognizing that his ability to be who he needed to be had to go beyond his education and his intellect and his training and his reputation, that it had to be based on. He said, all those things, I count them all as dung, refuge, trash, for the knowledge of knowing Christ and conforming to his death. For him, it was recognizing just over and over, Jesus, your Lord, and I submit to you, and I need your help, and I need the Holy Spirit today. I need the Lord's help today to help me change. Where does change come from? Well, it doesn't come from us. <laughs> it comes from God, who is able, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, to change us. Amen? Let's stand. Judas didn't change because he didn't yield to the lordship of Christ. He, there was a lot of things he liked about Jesus, but he didn't surrender his plan to God's plan. Is the plan you're living your plan or God's plan? Because there's going to be a collision if it is. He wants, and we need to recognize that he is Lord of all. Let's pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to yield to your lordship. May it be total and complete. Those crevices of our life that we're trying to hold on to, that we're trying to claim and keep as our own, just like Judas, we're, we're grasping for our own vision of who you should be to us instead of who you really are. Lord, we want to surrender our vision to who you are and embrace who you truly are, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we pray that you would make your truth real to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that those things that seem real to us but that are not real, those lies that we have embraced, that, that by the work of the Holy Spirit in these days, in these weeks, that you would show us, Lord, where we're deceived you would show us where the enemy has tricked us into seeking other ways to find life. And Lord, we ask that you would today fill us with your Holy Spirit. You said that we need to be constantly filled. filled. We've been filled, but we need to be being filled because we leak. We need your fullness. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us today, each one of us today, Lord, so that we can be what you've called us to be, and we just say, Lord, we just cry out, change us by the power you have to do it. Only you have the power to change us. You have the power to save us. You have the power to, to transform us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You suffered through that. Lord with you. Maybe you're changing. Have a great week.